Hallelujah. All right, we'll dismiss the kids. We've got a bunch of them tonight. Yeah, I see that. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right, let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Let me do this first. I wasn't going to do this, but I think we need to. Uh, Jim gave two, actually he gave about three tongues in interpretation. I think it was Friday night. No, it was Thursday night, wasn't it? Or Friday night, yeah, Friday night. And... Um, and I just want to read both of these because actually, you know, we were talking about when, when we were asking kind of what, uh, you know, the, about, about us being ready. I, I remember one of the words he gave here, and, uh, and it fits in, it fits in uh, right into one of the tongue and interpretation he has. So I'll, I'll read both of these. One of them was to the church, and then the other was to individuals. But he said this. He said uh, the, the, the tongue interpretation was this. So even this place, Destiny Bible Church, shall begin to see an increase and shall begin to abound, which simply means not a little here, not a little there, but it will become normal and it will become regular to hear testimonies that are already coming in begin to increase. For the pathway that you are on is the right pathway. And the Spirit of God is now ministering through those who sit in these services. And you will begin to see an increase in testimonies the quality of the testimonies and the joy of the Lord will begin to hit your congregation and those and those will begin to laugh to the right, to the left, to the middle and they will begin to rejoice in the things of God. And it will be at times so that you can't even minister because you're standing in the glory of God. It will be at times so that you will just begin to raise your hands and praise the Lord and continue to sing and rejoice and laugh and enjoy the presence of the Lord. For I'm calling you up to, to begin to experience me as you should know me. I know you and you know me, even as Jesus said, I know the Father even as the Father knows me. So let it be said of all of us here tonight, Amen. Amen. I just I received that for our church. Amen. And then, and then he had another one here right after that. I think this one's actually the first one maybe. But he said this, he said, And so there are some of you here tonight who have listened to what has been said and you've heard the intent of God's heart. Who, and, and you have said within your own heart, Lord God, I want that. That's the life for me. Experiencing the realness of who you are. And in your heart, you've, you've, opened, up, you've opened up already to the Lord and you've said that. You vocalize something along those lines, and the Lord is speaking to your heart, and He is saying, and thus it shall be, even before you get into your car, when you get into your car, and even before you get home, the presence of the Lord shall become real to you. The voice of God shall speak to your heart, and the things of God from this moment will begin to enlighten. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said when he prayed that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened? And thus it shall be said of you from this night, your walk with the Lord shall take, as it were, even a 90-degree turn, and you will find yourself smack dab in the presence of God where things work, where prayers work, and answers come, and the delight of your heart shall take place. Glory to God. I just received both of those. Amen. Uh, I just, 
I had pulled those out earlier today and read them, and and uh, and I'm just I'm just I'm keeping those I'm keeping those close to me because I I believe that's that's what's going to be happening, Amen. And I believe that uh, that we're going to see that. So uh, so one night I can't remember whether it was Friday or Saturday. I can't remember which night it was. Jim used this scripture, and when he said this word, uh, just this one word, and and I think maybe he maybe even used it a couple times, but. But when he said this one word, it just went off on the inside of me. And I, it was like one of those words where the Lord said, the Lord said, you know, take that and just, and, you know, and, and look, hold on to that and, and study that. And uh, so, so uh, the word comes out of Hebrews chapter 5 here. And I want to read it from a couple different versions we, uh, just because, because it, some of them bring out uh, some of the other things. But uh, first, let me give you—I'll give you a little background on this 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 book. You know, most people believe that Paul wrote the Book of Hebrews, and uh, Paul was writing to the church here at uh, the Book of Hebrews. He was writing to the church at Jerusalem, and of course, you know, the church at Jerusalem was the the original church. It was the the church that like that James pastored. It was the church that uh, Stephen came out of, uh, Matthew came out of. It was, you know, it, in other words, it was the church that everybody looked to. It was the, like the original. It was the, it was the one everybody looked to. So when Paul wrote this, this was probably written around uh, like 67 A.D. The Book of Hebrews. Uh, the Jerusalem was overtaken in like 70 A.D. Uh, that was the one that where Jesus prophesied that, and Paul and other people prophesied that Jerusalem would be overtaken and things like that. But uh, but so here Paul is 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 writing this letter and he's talking to them, and the whole and and you know all the way the first couple chapters he talks about some other things, and in chapter five he starts getting into uh, he starts getting into uh, Melchizedek and the you know the the priest the heavenly the, the role of Melchizedek and and the role of the heavenly priest and um, you know so he's having this conversation and all of a sudden it's almost like he got down to verse number eleven. And it hit him. I mean, it just—it's just like almost like he—he he just like it's like he slams on the brakes, and he's kind of like, okay, y'all are not getting this, you know, and this is going right over your heads. So, so it's like Paul said, I've got to back up here and and say a few things before I go on. And actually, in chapter five and then chapter six, you know, he kind of shifts gears. And then when you go back to or when you go over to Hebrews chapter seven, he picks up Melchizedek again. So it was almost like he was saying, okay, you're not getting this right now, so let me stop, let me back up and kind of correct you on some things, fix some things to where you'll be able to receive this. Because if I ask you this question or not, um, you know, how many of you, well, I'll, I'll just ask this question. How many of you uh, totally understand the revelation of Melchizedek and the heavenly priesthood and, and everything like that? Anybody like have a full understanding of that? Well, I was hoping you would so you could teach me something. So... You know, because I don't either. You know, I mean, it's like it's, you know, it was kind of like that's one of those subjects that's that's kind of real vague in the word. And there's so many people like if you hear different different uh, authorities, different uh, theologians, you'll if you had 20 theologians, you'd have 20 different stories or 20 different thoughts on it. You know, so he so he's starting to teach on you know the first the first uh, 10 verses of chapter five. He's teaching on Melchizedek and the the priesthood. And then he comes to verse number 11, and I, we're just going to pick up verse 11 through 14, um, because and he because this one word just jumped out at me, and I want to talk about this tonight, and we may we this may go into next week as well. But he said this in verse number 11. Paul said this. He says, 
uh, of whom, and, and when he says of whom, he was talking about, if you look in verse 10, you know, he talked about called of God, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then verse 11, you know, you can kind of, and you can kind of see this when you read this. He says, of whom we have many things to say, and they're hard to be uttered, seeing that you are dull of hearing. So it was like, you know, he's teaching on Melchizedek, and as all of a sudden he slams on the brakes and he says, man, I've got a lot more to say about Melchizedek. And, and it goes deep. You know, that's what he's saying when he said it's hard to be uttered. In other words, he's saying this, this is some deep stuff here. And he says, and this is really hard because you're dull of hearing. Now, the King James is really nice there uh, when it just simply said dull of hearing. Because when we read some of the other translations, you'll see... I mean, he tells them, I mean, he, he, he has some other choice words in, in some of the interpretation or some of the other translations. The Amplified, I think, says, the Amplified says, uh, concerning this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain, since you have become dull in your spiritual hearing and sluggish, even slothful, in achieving spiritual insight. So he told him, so you, you're, you're dull, your hearing has become dull. And he said, you've even become sluggish and slothful in your spiritual insight. Now remember, this was the church. This was like the, the, booming and, you know, the booming church. It was the one that everybody looked to. It was the standard of the, of the day. And then now here Paul is, Paul's saying, look, I've got a lot more to teach you, but you've, been, you, you've become slothful in your spiritual insight. And then he goes on to say this. Now you thought that was rough. He slaps him in the face here in verse 12. We'll go back to the King James here. In the King James, he says this, For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again to be the, to be the uh, first principle of the oracles of God and, uh, and, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So basically, he says, you're like a baby all of a sudden. He said, when you should be up here teaching this, you should be the one teaching the nations this. He said, you became like a baby, and now you're having to have milk instead of strong meat. You know, so now, now you can imagine, I mean, just, you know, a lot of times we read that and we don't, you know, we don't think much about it. But, but if you look at it from the perspective of, if, if you thought like, a, I'll just put it in a, in a worldly example. Take, for example, your work, your job. Whatever you do. And you, you know, you've trained at it, you've worked at it, you've worked in your job for 30 years. And you know, there's nobody that does your job better than you do. You know it inside and out. There's nobody that can do it better. There's, I mean, you know, there, nobody knows more than you do about your job, or that's your mindset anyway. And one day your boss comes in and says, hey, look, I've got to have a talk with you. You know, you've got lazy, you've got, you've got, you know, a careless, and he said, he said, you know, your boss looked at you and said, you know, where you, where you really should be the one setting the example, now here you are the one having to have help all the time. What in the world's wrong with you? Well, I think we would all take offense at that. I mean, you know, just in the, our natural, you know, our natural beings. Nobody likes to be told that, you know, that where you were up here and now somebody says, now you're way down here. That's kind of what Paul was telling them. So this was like a... This was kind of like a slap in the face to, to the church here at Jerusalem. And then look at verse 13, because this is, this, is this is what jumped out at me. Verse 13 says this, For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, 
for he is a babe. And when, when uh, Jim was teaching on that, that word unskillful in the word of righteousness, that phrase just jumped out at me. Because here, here's, here, here's what jumped out at me. I actually saw two phrases when he, when he read that. I saw that phrase, unskilled in the, in the, uh, un, or, in the word of, or how does it say, unskilled in the word of righteousness. But then I saw the flip side of that, and then I saw this, I saw it say this, skilled in righteousness. If you can be unskilled in the word, that means you can be skilled in it too. Now, <clears throat> uh, let me read the rest of it, and I'll read it from a couple different translations. But here's where I'm going with this. What is it? to be skilled in righteousness. What does that look like? Because because evidently, for us to be mature, for us to be uh, in a place where we can be teachers, so to speak, using this example, and, you know, you don't want to be a baby, you want to be a teacher. I mean, from this example, from what Paul was talking about. So if, if he's saying that if you're down here as a baby and you're unskilled in the word of righteousness, where you should have been a teacher then if you're going to be a teacher, you need to be skilled in righteousness. So what does that mean? And what does that look like? Well, he goes on and he says a few more things here. And he kind of, he kind of sets the stage and he tells us this. He says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age or mature. Even those who by... Now listen to this. Even, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The, the uh, Amplified says this. Uh, let's look at just verse 13 and 14 in the Amplified. The Amplified says this in verse 13. For everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced and unskilled in the doctrine of righteousness, of conformity to the divine will in purpose, thought, and action, for he is a mere infant, not able to talk yet. But solid food is for full-grown men. For those, now listen to this, for those whose senses and mental facilities are trained by practice to discriminate and uh, to discriminate and to distinguish between what is morally good and noble and what is evil and contrary either to divine or human law. So listen, so, so to be skilled in righteousness, it says here, because he's, because he uses a couple different analogies. He, he uses a baby versus the teacher, then he uses milk versus strong meat. And he says, if you're, he says, if you're a babe, then you, then you're on milk. And he says, you can't even talk yet. You have nothing to say because you, you know, you, you don't have an understanding. You, you don't understand what it is to be righteous. Now, when I think about righteousness, before I go any further, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Hold your place because we're coming back here. Matthew chapter 6. And just look. Now, this is a very, very familiar passage, but Matthew 6, 33. We could read this whole thing, but for the sake of time, we'll just pick out verse 33 here. And, and it says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The Amplified, in verse 33, says it this way, Matthew 6, 33, from the Amplified. It says, But seek, aim at, and strive for, first of all, His kingdom and His righteousness. Now, here's how the Amplified defines righteousness. His way of doing and being right. 
His way of doing and being right. And then all these things will be taken together and given to you. So, let's go back to Hebrews 5. Keep that thought in mind. If, if, if we define righteousness, and there's a lot of different ways you can define it, and, and righteousness is a huge subject, but if we, if we simply narrow it down tonight for our, for our purposes of saying that when he talks about righteousness here, he's talking about God's way of doing and being right. So if we're a baby and we're on milk and we have nothing to say, then that tells us we're not doing and being like God. If we are eating strong meat, which is the Word, once we get the Word in us, once we get a revelation of righteousness, once we start understanding who we are and have that revelation of righteousness, then, what's, then what happens? Then all of a sudden we start doing and being like God. In other words, remember what he said here in verse 14. He says, that, uh, he says, but solid food, and this is back in Hebrews 5, but solid food is for grown men, for those whose senses and mental facilities are trained by practice to discriminate and to distinguish between what is morally good and noble and what is evil and contrary either to divine or human law. So, so what he's saying here is this. For us to be skilled in righteousness takes work. I mean, it takes practice. It takes us coming against situations and choosing and making the right choice. You know what? There'll be times that sometimes you won't make the right choice. That doesn't make you a bad person. That just means that just means you missed the mark on it. But what that does give you the opportunity to do, what God gives you the opportunity to do, is the next time that comes around and that opportunity presents itself again, you can make the right choice. Why? Because you're practicing. You're training yourself. Okay, last time when somebody said something to me, I gave them what I thought in my mind, and it was the wrong thing to say. So this time, I'm going to, I'm going to keep my mouth shut for a little bit and let the Holy Spirit deal with them and deal with me and not say something, and then all of a sudden you look and say, ah, that, that kept me from getting in a whole lot of trouble right there. Or, you know, the last time this situation came up, you know, I didn't tell the truth, and, and boy, it, it, it ate at me for a whole week. I mean, I just couldn't get over not telling the truth. So this time I have the opportunity to tell the truth now, so I'm going to go ahead. Yeah, there may be consequences, but I'm going to tell the truth so I don't have to deal with that anymore. What are you doing? You're training yourself in righteousness. Doing and being right. You know, and that's, and, and that's what he's saying here. He, he didn't tell them. He, he, Paul wasn't saying to them, man, you should be perfect. You should never miss the mark. But what he was telling them was this. He was telling them, listen, you should be teaching this. You should be at a level where you may not, you may not hit it every single time, but you're practicing and you're, you're developing and you're training yourself to do and to be like God. Becoming skilled in the word of righteousness. Now, he goes on to remember, this is not written in chapter and verses. Paul didn't write this and it wasn't a break. Like a lot of times when we get to the end of a chapter and we look, we look at the next chapter, we think it's a whole different subject. But notice the first word in chapter 6 is therefore. In other words, when there's a therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. Right? And, and what it's there for is exactly what he just got through talking about. So he's talking about training and, and learning, this, being skilled in righteousness. And then Paul said this. He said, therefore, this is chapter 6, verse 1, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, 
let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance. Now, he, he gives six things here in the, in the first three verses of Hebrews. He gives six things that he tells them that are fundamental, that are, that are uh, things that, they, that he shouldn't have to go back over. In other words, I believe, here's what I believe. I believe what he was saying is, is when, you, when you look at these six things and you get a revelation of these six things, that's when you become skilled in righteousness. Now, these are pretty big things, but, but notice what he says here. He talks about that, and then he says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. In other words, he said this should be the foundation. We need to go on up higher than this. If you're wanting to grow up, if you're wanting to get off milk and get on meat, if you're wanting to and not be a baby anymore and become a teacher, if you're wanting to, to, to quit being a, a you know, carnal and become a mature Christian, then he said, here's some things that you need to have an understanding of. And he lists six things. He says this, he says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. That's number one. The, the doctrine or the foundation of repentance from dead works. Now, what was he talking about there? For them, now that may mean something different for us, but for them in this, in this uh, you know, in, in their time, what he was talking about was this. It was the whole, the, the whole battle between going back under the law and grace. The, repent, or, you know, the foundation of dead works. Because we know that, w- that when we try to work for our salvation or work for righteousness, the Bible says that, that, that is, that's wrong. There's, you know, righteousness does not come through our works. It's a gift from God. So he said the first thing you have to understand, and if you're going to grow up in righteousness, doing and being right, you've got to understand your righteousness comes from Him and not, has nothing to do about your works. You can't do something to be righteous. You can't do something to be unrighteous. Now, a lot of times we'll all agree with about doing, we, we can't do things to be righteous, but if that's a truth, then guess what? It's also a truth that what we do can't make us unrighteous either. Now listen, we can do some unrighteous deeds, but in God's eyes, that doesn't make us unrighteous. Now that's a whole other teaching, but, but you understand, but you see, you see how, how, I mean, just that first example right there, why if you don't understand that, you're not going to be very skilled in righteousness. If you struggle with trying to go back and do things to please God, do things to make, to make yourself righteous, do things to make people accept you, then, boy, you're going to struggle. You know, so the first one, I mean, that's the first one. Repentance from dead works. The second one, he goes on to say this, and of faith toward God. So, so he said that, you know, we've got to understand grace, and we've got to understand faith. Now, thank God, you know, thank God we're, all, we're in a faith church. Amen. I mean, you know, Brother Hagen, Brother Hagen, man, I mean, he taught us faith, and I've done my best to teach you guys faith. And I would hope that by now that we're all getting a little, a little bit of a grip on what faith is and how to use our faith. You know, so, so the first one was the law versus grace. The second one was, was faith toward God. In verse 3, he goes on to say this. Of, um, verse, or verse 2, excuse me. Verse 2, he goes on to say this. Of the doctrine of baptisms. Notice that's plural. We've, we've actually, the last couple Sundays before Jim got here, we, we've been talking about the doctrine of baptisms. You know, there's, there's, there's like the, the, the four different baptisms, really three, but 
there's four in that you have John's baptism. But the, the different baptisms, of course, is when we're baptized into the body of Christ in salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the, the filling of the Spirit, however you want to say that, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then the third one would be the water baptism, which is an outward expression of an inward work. And, you know, and all of those baptisms play a very important part. And, and then John's baptism is in there too, and it's a baptism of repentance of sin. But, but really for the New Testament believer, the three baptisms are the baptism into the body, which is salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then the water baptism. So, that, the, so he said, you know, you should have a grip and an understanding on the, the doctrine of baptisms. Because if you don't have that, and really we could say this probably without, without taking anything away, because what Paul was saying, because Paul was the one that wrote that, I wish that you all spoke in tongues with the doctrine of, of the, you know, because some people argue that the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is not for today. But Paul was the, the very one that taught that he spoke in tongues more than everybody. And how, how, much we're, how much we needed that. And, we've, and we're doing some teaching on that on Sundays, and we'll probably continue that this week. So, so the, the, repent, or the foundation of repentance of dead works, faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, then the third or the fourth one, uh, or the, the, yeah, the fourth one would be laying on of hands. Now that's interesting that, that he, he included that one in there, but you have to remember where, where they were coming from. Because... One of the things that they did, um, one of the things that they did in the, under the law, was that the priest would lay hands on those animals and transfer the sin to them. You know, in the in the in the ceremonies that they would do, the feasts and the festivals and different things. One of the one of the acts was the priest would lay hands on that sacrificial lamb and he would transfer all of the sin onto that animal. Well, under the new covenant, it's kind of like what what said that when what Jesus did is he reversed the curse in the fact that, like, you see that, you see that in the, uh, how Jesus dealt with lepers. Before Jesus came, if a leper touched you, you got leprosy. But when the leper came to Jesus to be healed, the Bible says Jesus reached out and touched him, and he became whole. So see, the doctrine of laying on of hands under the new covenant was, was all of a sudden now it's not a transference of sin, but it's a transference of power under the new covenant. And see, but it's still, it's still this mindset of transference of sin versus transference of power. And transference of, of the... And, you know, there's a lot more to that, but that's the simplest way I could explain it. You know, but the doctrine of laying on of hands. Then the fifth one, he goes on to say this, uh, the resurrection of the dead. Now, we know that there's, there's four resurrections of the dead. We've, we've looked at those when we did the study on Revelation. We looked at that. The first resurrection of the dead, of course, is Jesus when He was resurrected. Um, the second resurrection will be the resurrection of um, is the resurrection of the of the body of Christ, and and that's going to be the really that that resurrection is actually like the rapture of the church when we when we are uh, when we're taken away, and you know it's considered like the the uh, resurrection. The third resurrection will be the resurrection of the saints at the end of the tribulation period, and then the fourth tribulation is going to be. The, the, uh, the resurrection of the, the unjust at the end of the millennial when, when, they are, when, when they stand before the great white throne. So there's four different resurrections. And then the, the sixth thing that he talks about kind of ties into that. The sixth thing he says of eternal judgment. So the resurrections and eternal judgment, 
And it, of course, eternal judgment we know is just talking about that last resurrection when when the 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 people without Christ stand before the great white throne judgment. They're going to be eternally separated from Him. For you and I, our resurrection in the rapture or at the resurrection of the saints is going to be when we stand before Jesus as born-again men and women. We stand before Jesus at the, uh, at the judgment seat of Christ or the Burma seat of Christ, and we, and we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You'll stand between one or two judgments. You know, you'll be at the great white throne judgment, which we don't want to be at because that's for the unsaved, or you'll be at the judgment seat of Christ, which are for those that are saved and will receive our rewards. So those six things, and that's a very brief teaching on that, those six things, he says this, and then verse 3, he goes on to say this, and this will we do if God permits. So, so Paul just said this. He said, listen, he said, you know, let's step up. Let's quit being a babe. Let's quit being babes in Christ, and let's step up and, and get a revelation of these things and then move on to the next thing. So those six things, really, he said, are the, the foundation or the fundamental things of Christianity. And when you get those, and when you, when you have... Now, you don't have to have a complete understanding, because I don't know that we get a complete understanding of anything. But when you get an understanding of those, you can, be, you can become skillful in the Word of Righteousness. Because you look at those things and you start seeing, you know, grace and faith and, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You start seeing, uh, uh, you know, the transference of power. You start seeing... Uh, you know, our understanding of who we are, our identity, our understanding that, that, you know, that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. You get, you get an understanding of those things, and then you'll start walking in some stuff. <laughs> you know, so that's, I mean, that's a pretty awesome, a pretty awesome thing. Now, let me read it. Uh, Ginger, let's put up uh, from the message translation in chapter 5, and we'll just read 11 through 14 from the message. And then I just want to read it from a couple different translations. And, and I, I just I like to do this because it brings some things out. Let's look at this. He says, uh, this is from the message translation. Paul said this. He said, I have a lot more to say to you about this, but it's hard to get it across to you since you've picked up on this bad habit of not listening. Mm, a bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourself. Yet here I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one, baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago. Milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways. Now listen, now, now notice here, he says milk is for beginners, he, and, and uh, in verse 13 is where it says unskilled, the, the King James says unskilled in the the word of righteousness. The message says inexperienced in God's ways. But check out verse 14 here. This is incredible. I think uh, uh, no, it's in the Passion Translation that, that says this other word. But 14 says here, solid food is for the mature who have some practice in telling right from wrong. Who have some practice in telling right from wrong. Now listen to it. This is the translation that Jim read uh, from the Passion Translation. I don't have, I don't have that uh, Passion Translation in our system up there yet. Uh, the Passion Translation says this, We have much more to say about this topic, although it's difficult to explain because you have become too dull and sluggish to understand it. For you should, have already, for you should already be professors instructing others by now, but instead you need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. Now listen to this. He says, You're like children still needing milk, 
and not ready to digest solid food. For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not... Now, this, this is the, what Jim talked about, and this is so good. He says, every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. You haven't been pierced with the revelation of righteousness. He says, but solid food is for the mature whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters. And they that, they that have been adequately trained by what, they're, uh, by what they've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. Now, let me read it from the, the Mirror Bible. And, uh, and this pulls out some really cool stuff in this one, too. Um, on this subject, there remains so much to be said. But oh, how difficult it is to explain something to someone who hears with an indifferent attitude. Boy, isn't that something? That you hear with an indifferent attitude. By now, you should have been professors able to teach the rest of the world, but you're still struggling with the ABCs of God's language in Christ. The difference between the... Now, now listen to this. I, the reason I wanted to read this is he brings out something totally different than all the other translations. This one says this, The difference between the prophetic shadow and the real is like between milk and meat in your diet. You cannot live on baby food for the rest of your lives. The difference, now I like that, the difference between the prophetic shadow, in other words, just a, just a shadow of something, and the real thing is like the difference between being a baby in Christ and being mature in Christ. When you're a baby, you just see a shadow of something, and you think, oh, that's cool. But when you're mature, you walk in it. Isn't that awesome? He goes on in verse 13, he goes on to say this. The revelation of righteousness is the meat of God's Word. Babies live on milk, the prophetic, the prophetic shadow of the real which was to come. So does everyone who is not pierced in the ear of his heart by the revelation of Christ. And he explains this a little bit. He says, the word aperos comes from, from a, or ah, the negative, and peria, pierced. And he says this, he says, God's act of righteousness in Christ restored mankind to blameless innocence. So God's act of righteousness in Christ restored mankind to blameless innocence. That word, the word pierced, um, I was, re I was reading about that today because I had never really, when Jim brought that out the other day, I, I was thinking, what does that mean, pierced by the, by the word of righteousness? And, and it was a, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a, uh, it was like a military term, if, I, if I'm remembering that right. It, the word pierced means it's like, like you're not prepared. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if you haven't been pierced, you're not prepared. It's like you're, you're not ready for that revelation yet. But once you become pierced, then you're ready for battle. You know, it's like a sign. Um, you know, like uh, at one time years ago when Stacy and I was, uh, uh, when we had just moved to Knoxville, we'd been married about a year, um, <laughs> there was a, and, and you know, you'll always run into some, some people that, are, that do some weird things and uh, different things like that. But there was a teaching going around about the, uh, about the, like, like in, the, in the Scripture where it talks about that, uh, uh, when the slaves were freed, that that they would, uh, they if they had the opportunity, like the servant, if he if he if he or the master, 
if he freed the slaves, he would give them an opportunity to become a uh, indentured servant, I think. A bond servant. A bond servant. That's the word I was looking for. To become a bond servant. And what that meant was that he was free, but he chose to stay under his master. And the way that you could identify a bond servant was that they would, they would pierce their earlobe with a hole. They would put a hole in their earlobe. And, and when, when, you saw, when you saw somebody with a, with a pierced earlobe, in that, like in the biblical times, that was a picture of somebody who had chosen to stay a servant under a master because he loved that master. And there were some people in the church that, that we were at, you know, pierced their ears, you know, put a hole in their ear, because, say, you know, symbolic of them being a bondservant to Jesus. Well, I was like, well, I'm, you know, I was like, I'm a bondservant, but I ain't piercing my ear, you know, so I ain't going to do that. You know, but, they, but they, they, they took the actual act and actually pierced their ear, you know, to, become a, to show people that they were a bondservant of Jesus. But it's kind of the same thing here, that, that the pierced means, you know, it just meant that, that they were ready. They, they had been prepared in the, in the word of righteousness. And then he said, this is the nourishment of the mature. They are those who have their facilities of, of perception trained as by gymnastic precision to distinguish the relevant from the irrelevant. So, so, what, I, so what I wanted you to see tonight was just simply this. And we, we could go uh, some more things, but I think, I think that's sufficient for tonight. Like, for example... Uh, I think of uh, well. Let's turn to First Corinthians three, and I'll show you this this one this one verse. This is one of my favorite favorite verses here in First Corinthians because it talks about you know where Paul's talking about uh, where he's talking about there about the the difference between mature and a baby and different things like this. Here in First Corinthians chapter three, verses uh, verse number three or verse one through three. Because see now here's the difference between. Uh, here's the difference between the Corinth church and the church in, that he was talking to in the book of Hebrews. Because remember, the church in the book of Hebrews was the, was the standard. It was the church that was up here. And now Paul's saying, man, you know, you have come so far low. You have dropped to where you, you should have been professors. And now you're, you're like a baby in Christ again. People are having to come in and teach you. you know? And so they, they had... They had uh, they had achieved a level of maturity, and now they're back down to a baby. The Corinth church, if you remember the church at Corinth, it was a young church. And, and they had, the Bible says that, that the church at Corinth lacked no spiritual gift. In other words, man, the, the, the spiritual gifts flowed in Corinth like crazy. But the problem was they had no maturity. So they were abusing every one of the spiritual gifts. And so the whole book of First and Second Corinthians, both of those letters written back to the church at 1st and 2nd Corinthians, was to really correct the church, telling them, you know, how to use the gifts of the Spirit instead of abusing them. I mean, you know, so, so the, difference, the, the, the difference in the, the Hebrew, the, the letter to the Hebrews, they were really struggling, to be honest with you, they were struggling with religion. They had let the laws, the religious laws, take them back down to where they, didn't, they, were, they were struggling in simple things because they had put themselves back under the law. As you can see in, in chapter 6, he talked about the foundation of, you know, repentance of dead works, of faith to God, of, of laying on of hands. Those things were, were just simple things that if you, if you could get yourself out of the law and into grace, you would have no problem with them. But the church had got back under that. Here at Corinth, their, church, their problem wasn't religion. Their problem was the flesh. There was adultery. There was fornication, there was envy, there was strife, there were arguing, they were, 
at each other's throat. So, you know, over here, the book of Hebrews dealt with the religious spirit. Here in Corinthians, he's, Paul was dealing with the flesh. And so here's what Paul told them. And, and let's just read this. Let's just put it up there from the Amplified, uh, Ginger, if you would, and just for the sake of time. First uh, Corinthians 3, verse 1. He says this. He says, However, brethren, I could not talk to you as spiritual men, but as non-spiritual men of the flesh, in whom the carnal nature predominates, as to mere infants in the new life in Christ, unable to talk yet. So there's some similarities, but notice that he said, he said, you know, I have to talk to you like a carnal nature. You know, it was the carnal side that was dealing with Corinthians. He never said that in Hebrews. He just said, he said, you should be teachers, now you're like babies. Here, Paul said, he said, I'm having to teach, talk to you like a carnal man. But then he goes on to say this in verse 2. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet strong enough to be ready for it. But even yet, you are not strong enough to be ready for it. Now listen to verse 3. This is an incredible verse. He says, for you are still unspiritual, having the nature of the flesh under the control of ordinary impulses. For as long as there were envy and jealousy, wrangling and fractions among you, are you not unspiritual and of the flesh? Now listen to this last phrase. Behaving yourselves after a human standard and like mere unchanged men. So see, there's two things that will happen to you. If you, if, you're, if, you get in, if you get that religious spirit, you know, it'll take you from knowing something to not knowing anything. I mean, it'll, it'll bind you. The, the flesh over here, the flesh over here, when you, when you get in the flesh and you don't control the flesh, he says it'll make you act like you haven't even been touched by God. Isn't that something? But th that phrase has always, always struck me. He says that you, you act, he says, he says you, you're behaving yourself after a human standard and like mere unchanged men. And what I'm getting at is this. Here's the point I want you to see. I don't want to be like a mere unchanged man. When the world sees me, when somebody sees me, I don't want them to look at me and think, he looks just like everybody else. You know, if you, if you put a hundred, I, I could lay out a hundred dead bodies in a room and put one person, put one person in that room that's alive and just tell them, lay as still as you can, you know, breathe as soft as you can. And you know what? It would be very hard for somebody to pick out that one person that's alive in a room full of a hundred dead people. If they're, if they're breathing real shallow and, and they're not, you know, you don't see their chest going up and down real, real high. So, as a matter of fact, you might even have to put a mirror up to their nose to see if they're breathing. And you see, that's what he's talking about here. He says, you look just like everybody else. Nobody can tell the difference. Why? Because you're, let, because you're letting your flesh control you. And he says, you're like a baby and you're still on milk. And you, he says, you, you're not even strong enough for, for, for strong meat. Over here, Hebrews, he told him, he says, you, you should be the one feeding people. You should be the one feeding people the strong meat, being a professor. And he says, but here we are. People are having to come in and give you milk again. Now, see, it's one thing to never have tasted meat and, and just to stay so weak that you had to be on milk. I mean, that's bad enough. But these guys over here, they had tasted meat. They were the standard. 
And then all of a sudden, they went back down to where all they had to do was, was milk. That's the only thing they could survive on. And if you've, ever, if you've ever been sick or ever been in a surgery or something like that, and they put you on a liquid diet in a hospital, and you've got to go through certain things before you can get on a solid, everybody knows you hate that. You know, you want some solid food. You know why? Because you've tasted it before. You know what, you know what it tastes like to eat some meat and taters. Amen. You know, you just don't want jello and soup. Amen. Well, see, that's what happened to the church in Jerusalem. He said, man, you went from meat and taters to, to, to just jello and soup. And these people over here in Corinth, he said, who's acting like mere unchanged men, he said, you haven't even tasted meat yet. You've not even been strong enough to, to enjoy the meat of the Word. You've stayed on, on milk. Why? Because you've let your flesh run, run, run be in control. Uh, the human, just like a regular human being, you're just like everybody else. There's no difference in you. And he said, you're acting like a mere unchanged man. But listen, my challenge to you tonight is this. We want to become skilled in the word of righteousness. You know, we, we, want, to, we want to understand who we are. We want to understand what we have. You know, like that confession that John Osteen says, you know, I, I want everything the Bible says I can have. I want to be everything it says I can be. I want to do everything it says I can do. And the only way we're going to do that is to become skilled in the word of righteousness and not be moved by going back under the law, not be moved by letting our flesh control us, but learning to train ourselves. You know, that's, that's part of renewing our mind. It's, it's renewing our mind. It's... it's it's uh, yielding, our, yielding our members to God to be servants to Him instead of servants of unrighteousness. Because remember what it said there in chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you know, you get there by training yourself. Training yourself to make the right choices, to do the right things. And when we train ourselves, what happens? We become skilled in the word of righteousness. Amen? And that's, that's our goal. That's where we want to go. Amen. So, so I don't know. Maybe for the next few weeks, we'll on Wednesday nights here, we'll talk about becoming skilled in in the Word of Righteousness and learning just how to grow up a little bit. Amen. I mean, I think we all can use it at times because I don't know about you, but man, that that scripture in First Corinthians three has always challenged me. I never want it be said of me that I act like a mere unchanged man. You know, wouldn't it be something to live to 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 be a Christian for thirty years? I, you know, and we all we all probably have, have these experiences where, where you see somebody from your past, somebody you knew in high school or college, and you know, man, it brings up some old memories of things you did, the way you used to be, things like that. And and you know, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I've changed quite a bit. I mean, I, I was I never did get into a lot of trouble, but I, I did some things I'm not proud of, and and you know, things that things that you know you you hope nobody finds out about type things, you know. I mean, we, I'm sure all of us have those things in our life. But wouldn't it be something, now wouldn't it be something to meet somebody that you've known back in high school or in college and for them to, for them to spend a day or two with you and then for them to say this, and, and you thinking, you know, you found Jesus or you give your life to Him, you, you dedicated your life to Him later on, and, and you thinking, man, I've really changed and I've, I've become a different person and all this and thinking you're doing great, and for them to say, man, you hadn't changed a bit since high school. You act the same way you acted back then. Well, wait a minute. You know, now wait, wait, what are you talking about? But see, that's what, that's what Paul said. You're acting like a mere unchanged man. 
You see, people should be able to see a difference in us. If, if, if we're getting more like Jesus today, if I'm more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, somebody I met yesterday, if I ran back into them today, they should be able to say, there's a difference in you. You've changed. Somebody I met 10 years ago, if they saw me today, I, I hope they say, man, you, you know, you, you've, you've progressed a lot. You know, somebody 30 years ago, I would really hope they would say, man, you've, you know, not just say like my grandpa used to say, every time I saw him, you're getting fatter, boy. You know, <clears throat> Yeah, I'd hope they say. I'd hope they say, man, you're you're more spiritual. You know, I mean, you're, something's changed about you. What is it? Well, it's, I've been with Jesus. You know, what was it when when the when the disciples stood before the when they stood before the Sanhedrin that day? It says that when they when they perceived that that you know they were unlearned men. In other words, they're like, man, these guys hadn't had the formal training like we have. But it says they perceived they had been with Jesus. In other words, being with Jesus changed them. And it was a difference. They could tell it. They weren't mere unchanged men anymore. They had been with Jesus. Well, that's what being skilled in the word of righteousness will do for you. Amen? So we'll, we'll learn some more about that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word tonight, Lord. Thank you that, we, that Father, my declaration is we are becoming skilled in the word of righteousness. Father, we're not like mere unchanged men. We're not babies in Christ. But, Father, we are, we are partaking of the good food, the good, strong meat of Your Word, Father, because we're getting revelation upon revelation, and we thank You for that. So we bless You and we honor You. Thank You for giving us a great rest of the week. Pray Your blessings on all the activities we got coming up this weekend, Lord, and, and uh, the services on Sunday, service on Saturday night there as I'll be ministering at Lakewood. And we just pray Your blessings, Father, on, on all this time that we have, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.